0: Have you ever been invited over someone's house, and it was kind of awkward? Have you ever been there? You were invited, but you were kind of the unwelcome guest. A few times in my life, I remember, uh, I love young married couples, and I've been married for nine years this summer. I still feel young married, but um, nine years later. But I remember I went over this one couple's house, and they were newly newlyweds, and they were making out almost the whole time we were over their house. And I'm like, you want us to leave? Uh, this is awkward. Didn't know what to do. Another time we inv- got invited over to this family's house. And by the way, none of these people go to church here, in case you're wondering. And um, the husband had just gotten home from a long day at work. And they were greeting each other and the kids. And, and we were sitting there like by ourselves at the dinner table. And another awkward moment that seemed to last for a long time. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 7. And this is kind of an awkward situation, Um, not for Jesus, but for everyone at the dinner party. And just a little disclaimer, if there is any children, this message is a PG-13 message. So just a disclaimer, if your kids need to go to the nursery, we do have that available. As I pray, you're welcome to do so. But this, this message is one of those that, when you understand the ethos of the text, There's so much drama going on because there's an immoral woman that comes, and there's a Pharisee, and then there's the prophet, Jesus. So you have the Pharisee, you have the prostitute, and you have the prophet. So I'm going to pray and bless God's word, and then we're going to jump into this text as we continue our study of Luke. And I want you guys to feel the tension in the room as as we read this. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that the Bible is full of true stories that happen to speak a message to today's culture and Lord we want to do the text justice and we want to understand what your word has to say so Lord as we talk about this immoral woman as we talk about this Pharisee and as we talk about Jesus help us to see ourselves and our family in the light of your word help us to see our friends help us to see the people that we think are unreachable and help us to leave this place, not as informed, but transformed. Help us to leave this place encouraged and inspired. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we turn to the text in Luke chapter 7, this is for all of you who feel like you have someone in your family or friends that you think's unreachable. I think we all have those people that you're like, there's no way that person, you feel in the blood. there's no way they'll ever get saved. I think we all have people in our family. Some of you may be married to that person, maybe your son or daughter or grandchild. But we're going to see in this passage a woman that nobody in the town or the city thought would ever get saved. And she has an encounter with Jesus. So the big question we're going to ask, and Jesus is going to address this in the text, is how much have you been forgiven? Are you a really big sinner or are you a little sinner? So let's look in Luke chapter 7. Verse 36, this is then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet weeping behind him. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet. And anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He spoke to himself saying. This man if he were a prophet. Would know who and what manner of woman this is. Who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him. Simon I have something to say to you. And he said say it teacher. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they both had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more, whom he forgave more. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go and peace. And the Lord bless His word. So I've entitled this, Love is a Verb and a Noun, because this lady shows her love. It's not just something she possesses, but it's an action. But I think a subtitle could be When the Lady of the Night Meets the Light of the World. When the Lady of the Night Meets the Light of the World. So I want you to take out your listening guide, and there's five S's to this story. The first S is the setting. We find ourselves in the home of a Pharisee. Now, we read in the previous chapter in Luke, chapter 6, verse 11, after Jesus had done all these miracles on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees and scribes sought what they could do to Jesus. They wanted to catch him. They wanted to kill him. They did not like Jesus. Now, there were exceptions, but as a whole, the Pharisees wanted to catch Jesus and trap him. So why did Jesus go to eat with someone that most likely was a potential enemy? It's interesting that Jesus went to so many people's houses, those who liked him and those who disliked him. You guys remember the story of Zacchaeus, the sinner, tax collector, and Jesus actually invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. He said, come down, for I'm coming to your house. Have you ever invited yourself to over someone's house before? Jesus did it. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't know if that would be good for us, but Jesus can get away with it, right? So I'm reminded of Revelation 3.20. Jesus writing to the church, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And he says, if you'll let me in, I'll do what? I'll come in and have dinner with you and you'll dine with me. So Jesus is very relational, even to those who are his enemies. In fact, you remember Judas in the garden when they were coming to betray him on his last week, he called Judas friend. So here you have Jesus in the home of a Pharisee. Jesus spent time with his critics and even his enemies. It's been said the best way to get rid of an enemy is to make him or her your friend. I put on your listening guide some ways to deal with critics. The past few weeks, the Pharisees have come up. And as you know, the Pharisees are the chief critics of Jesus. So we've talked practically, how do you deal with critics in your life? Because all of you will have people who just don't like you. I try to explain it to my kids from a young age. You guys may not realize this, but when school events, when social events happen, not everyone's going to like you. It's better to learn it early in life than, I can't believe that person doesn't like me. Jesus was perfect, and did everyone like him? Well, people killed him, right? So if you look in your listening guide, this is from Craig Groeschel. I thought it was very practical. He wrote an article on how to deal with criticism. The first thing is this. The criticism is often not about you. You ever realize that often criticism is more about the other person than you? We talked about last week in psychology, they call it Projection. When someone projects their issues or their brokenness onto you. So sometimes it's not about you. He goes on to say people are quick to criticize what they don't understand. In this story we see that Simon the Pharisee was critical of Jesus because he didn't get Jesus' mission was forgiveness. It was the seeking to save the lost, right? Those who are lost need to be found. They need a shepherd. But sometimes, Rochelle goes on to say your critics are right? Billy Graham, in his book on leadership principles, once said, let your critics be your coach. Did you know that every critic, even if they're dead wrong, often there's a nugget of truth? And if you will let your critics be your coach, they will help you become better. Obviously, Jesus had no issue here in this case. So how do you respond to your critics? The first service asked them, and their general response was, they don't respond, they ignore, or we talked about deleting someone on Facebook. Those are some of the responses. So how? what's the proper way of dealing with people that are critical? Well, sometimes you don't need to respond because if you respond to every critic, you won't have time to do anything but deal with critics. Number two, if you do respond, it's wise to wait. How many of you have a fast trigger on the email button send? <laughs> sometimes it's best to sleep on it, don't send it right away, or better yet, some of you remember writing the letter and you don't send it, you know, that type of thing. If you are emotional, Groeschel says, don't respond immediately. If you're emotional, it's best. Your, your judge, judgment's going to be clouded. He goes on to say, lead from a deep, grounded confidence. If you know who you are in Christ, if you know that you're a son or daughter of the king, and you know you're walking with him, your goal is not to please people. It's to please God. When your emotions are high, your wisdom is often low. Have you ever discovered that? When your emotions are high, your wisdom is low. And he goes on to say in his article, don't let the compliments get in your head and don't let the criticisms get in your heart. I'll say that again. Don't let the compliments go to your head and don't let the the criticisms go to your heart. So we have the, the setting, the home of a Pharisee. Number two, we have the spectacle, a sinful woman's loving act towards Jesus. Look at verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... Now, we've got to define what this means. Most scholars will tell you when a woman in the Bible is labeled a sinner, it usually means one thing. It usually means she's a prostitute. Now, there may be exceptions, but that's the general rule. So most likely, this woman is a lady of the night. And, you know, they didn't really have to explain what type of sinner because it was generally known. And everyone at the table, including Simon, they were shocked that this woman was even in the presence of Jesus It says, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Verse 38, she stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. So you kind of have the first scene, you have the Pharisee and the prophet, second scene, All of a sudden you have the Pharisee, you have the prophet Jesus, and you have the prostitute. So you can imagine the tension going on. What is this woman doing? What is this lady of the city, this immoral woman, doing at this party? Jesus permitted this woman to show love towards him. And the Pharisee did not like it. The unnamed woman, you notice there's no name for her and there's no recorded words of her in the text. So we don't have a name. We don't see what she said. But as the saying goes, actions speak louder than words. She did the unthinkable to Jesus. Number one, she crashed a party she wasn't invited to. Have you ever just showed up at someone's house and asked what was, what's to eat? Maybe some of you as teenagers did that as a prank. But that just, I mean, she crashed a party. Now, it may help to understand in this culture, as it is in some condos today, a lot of the houses are built around a courtyard. So the way the, in the Greco-Roman world was, you could have a, a party in your courtyard, your part of the house, and your guests would be there. And then other guests could kind of hear what was going on. They wouldn't eat the food, but they would be around. So that's probably what was going on here. And I have a picture of what they would lean against. And this is the, the type of couch you're lying on. And it's called a triclinium. And a lot of a lot of times we think of dinner as you have your silverware and you're sitting up uprightward In a triclinium and this style you were leaning on your left elbow, leaning forward and you would eat with your right hand. And it was kind of more of a casual, you know, you ever been one of those dinners that last forever? I mean, you're eating with one hand, you're kind of talking. So this shows you how the woman came at Jesus' feet. She came from behind because he was leaning on the table and. Have you guys ever seen a Harmony of the Gospels? Anybody ever seen that? Bible study, fellowship, or whatever? This is just a homework assignment when you go home. Google Harmony of the Gospels. And what's interesting is right before this story, they take the Harmony of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right before this story, in chronological order, is Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And we don't know. But maybe the woman heard this message and she says, I'm going to come to Jesus. We don't we don't know. But she heard that Jesus was there. She'd heard about him. But I'm reminded of his words. Come to me, all you who are weary. And this woman is weary and burdened by her sin. And she came to Jesus. Number two, she boldly approached Jesus. In this culture, in this Jewish culture, generally women didn't get invited to these parties. I'm sorry, ladies, but they didn't. Now, one thing I brought up in the first service, the Bible is the greatest thing that ever happened to women. Because whenever Christianity spread, women were equal with men. You know, Paul said there's neither male nor female. They're all one in Christ. So when it comes to salvation, God has us equal. But when you see other forms of religion other than Christianity, women are still treated like property. So Jesus permitted this woman to come because he was living not by the cultural standards, but by his own standards, by by truth. Notice she wept at his feet. Now, do you think this woman planned on crying? Ladies, do you ever plan on crying or does it just happen to you? And I don't know how long the woman was standing there. If she was standing there listening in the courtyard to his words or she just rushed through. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. I could see from both sides, but the closer she got to Jesus, the more she realized her sin and brokenness. And all of a sudden, Martin Luther said it was like heart water just came pouring out, heart water, tears. Ladies, like, you ever cried so hard your makeup is coming down, a mascara, and it's getting all over your clothes, and just this, this having one of these cry sessions? That's good for you sometimes, right? She's just bawling. Her tears are streaming down. And all of a sudden, Jesus' feet at this point are dirty. See, we don't understand from our culture... One of the guys in early service had flip-flops. They had him hold up his feet. But they wore these open-toe sandals. And the roads were a lot worse than air roads. You were walking through animal dung and dirt and all this stuff. So Jesus had not had his feet washed. So this woman was crying so much, her tears washed his feet. And she did the unthinkable for this culture. Next, she lets down her hair. And she starts wiping his feet with her hair like a towel. Now, we've got to understand something about Jewish culture. Whenever a a woman let down her hair in public, if she was married, it was considered a shame. In fact, according to the Jewish Talmud, if a woman, a married woman let down her hair, that could be considered grounds for a divorce. Not in the Bible, but the Jewish culture. So this woman does the unthinkable. She lets down her hair and she starts wiping Jesus' dirty feet with her hair. And you can imagine Simon, the Pharisee, looking at this woman. She's not supposed to be there in his home. I mean, think about what he's thinking. I have to I have to I have to have a priest come and sanctify this house after a prostitute's been here. And now this woman she lets down her hair. I mean it's a prostitute. She does something that you know married women do in front of their husbands because the Bible says a woman's hair is her glory. You only let down your glory in front of your husband, they thought, and she's letting down her hair and notice what she does next. She kisses Jesus' feet. And in the Greek, it's a continual tense. She kept on kissing. It wasn't just one kiss. But just, just answer this to yourself. Is it likely that you've kissed someone's feet? I mean, we, we don't do that very often. Do? I mean, even your spouse, that's something. We just don't do that. So she lets down her hair. She kisses Jesus' feet. And then she anoints Jesus' feet with a costly fragrant oil. Now, this is two possibilities, and the text doesn't tell us. One oil is what a woman wore around her neck. It had some, like, special oil, kind of like a perfume. Another type of oil was what prostitutes carried with them, or they had with them with their trade. It was like fragrant perfume. And if, indeed, she was a prostitute, this could be the very oil she used for her trade. And I am going to bring that back in a moment why that's significant. So she pours it all out upon Jesus. So you see the spectacle. You have the Pharisee. You have Jesus, the prophet. And you have the prostitute. Can you imagine the tension? That's why I said this message is rated PG-13 because there's so much drama going on. Number three, you have the speculation. Why is Jesus allowing this? Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He spoke to himself. Notice he's not saying out loud. He's thinking. If this man were a prophet. He would know who and what manner of this woman is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. So Simon was saying to himself if Jesus was really the prophet. You know Moses predicted the prophet to come and that's the Messiah. If he were the prophet to come as Moses predicted. He would know number one this woman is a sinner. I mean, she's a prostitute. Prostitutes and prophets don't go together. Number two, she w- he wouldn't allow, G- Jesus would not allow this woman to touch him. See, in the Jewish culture, men, unless it was your wife, you generally didn't touch or allow another woman to touch you or you'd be considered unclean. You didn't touch women. You didn't touch Gentiles. That was just part of the culture. So he's like, Jesus is not recognizing who this woman is, and he's allowing her to touch him. And my understanding of the word touch, you might want to underline that. It's the same word Paul uses. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. It's often used in an intimate sense. So you see where his mind's going. This woman who's a prostitute, is letting down her hair, and she's touching Jesus. Let, let's, let's frame it this way. Imagine if a lady of the night from Lexington Avenue came to church here, and during the she came... And wanted to wash my feet. What would you guys think? I mean what's, what's going on here? You know like this is, this is out there. So that's the tension they were experiencing. And something Simon did not get. Is this woman was doing it. Because she realized the depth of her sin. She realized who she was. And she realized who Jesus was. But you ever ask the why question in your life? God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? Simon asked the why question and he didn't really get it. And Jesus is going to answer the why question. Number four, Jesus gives a story. He gives a story. Two debtors who cannot pay their debt. So Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. In 2018 English, what this means is we need to have a talk. You ever have someone say, we need to have a talk? And you're like, your heart starts beating. Like, what do they need to talk about? And so Simon's like, okay, tell me what you want to say. And he said, there, there are two people who are in debt. One owed a really big am- amount, 500 denarii, and the other one only owed 50. Now, a denarii is one day's wage for the common labor. So that's not quite two years, just a little less than two years' pay. Fifty denarii is like two months' wage. So let's say someone owes $100,000 and then someone owes 10000 So you have a $100,000 center and you have a $10,000 center. So let's put it in 2018. Imagine if you owed $100,000 on your mortgage, your house mortgage, and you hit rough times and you couldn't pay back any of the debt. I mean, they're, they're like the bill collectors are calling you and said you owe money, you're, you're three months late. But all of a sudden, you have a wealthy relative that said, Listen, Timothy, I know you're struggling, and I'm, I'm going to do something that's going to set you up for life. I'm going to pay off your debt. And I've already worked it out with the bank, I've wired the money, and the mortgage title deed to your house, the title deed is coming this week. Oh my goodness, I, my house is paid off. I hear when you pay your house, what do you paint the, the door? You paint it red. So I'm, I'm going to order red, paint I'm going to have a party, house debt-free party. Okay, scenario B, I owe $10,000 on my car. And yeah, you know, I'm a college student. And I'm trying to have a nice car, you know, you know, single guy, single girl, driving this car. And all of a sudden, the, the college tuition comes in. And I, I, I'm trying to pay the tuition, but I can't pay the car. So all of a sudden, my, my car goes into debt collection. And now the creditors are calling me, changing my number. I'm blocking the number. They keep calling. And all of a sudden, you have a friend that says, listen, $10,000 is not a big deal. I'm going to pay off your car. The deed for the car is coming. And you're like, oh, wow. So which one's going to love the most, the one that got the free house or the one that got the free car? I would say both would love but if, if you got your house paid off, that would be Unbelievable. So what Jesus has given us is a story. Simon may think that he's a small sinner, but in reality he's a big sinner. He just doesn't realize it. The woman realizes how big of a sinner she is. I read about a king who had suffered greatly under some of his followers who created a rebellion. And there was so much turmoil going on in his kingdom. And finally, after a while of war... The subjects that had rebelled dropped their weapons and said, forgive us. They begged for mercy, and the king forgave them. One of the king's loyal subjects said, I thought you said we're going to kill the enemies. And he said, these are not enemies, they're friends. He who is forgiven much loves much. So church, we're in the forgiveness business, and we can't forget that. It's so easy. You know, my my background, I, I was raised in church nine months before I was born. My dad's been in ministry. You know, my dad was the Sunday school superintendent, grew up in church. One thing I've struggled with is am I a worse sinner than someone that's never been in church? Have you ever thought that? Like I've only been forgiven this much and they've been forgiven this much. And if we're not careful, we have a little bit of Simon inside of us. Yeah, I've grew up in church. I've done this. I've done that. But what we don't realize is the same grace that forgives the biggest sinner you could imagine, same grace forgives you. And it only takes one sin to miss heaven. We forget that. You have to be perfect. So imagine if you committed one sin every day for the rest of your life. That's a that's pretty low, low grade, right? But it adds up to tens of thousands of sin if you just commit one a day. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, Simon, you don't realize, but you're in need of forgiveness. And the grace extended to you is just as great as the grace extended to this woman. So let's look at the summary How how does Jesus summarize this spectacle? Uh, We have this scene of a prostitute and a prophet and a Pharisee. Such contrasts. The summary Jesus gives us is this. The level of love should match the level of forgiveness. The level of love should match the level of forgiveness. Many of you have heard of Corey ten Boom. We talk about her. And she tells a story that really is heartbreaking. She, many of you know her story, she was in a concentration camp. Her dad had hid away people, the hiding place, hid away people that they were trying to exterminate. They were trying to kill all the Jews and her dad hid away and eventually they got caught. And they ended up in a concentration camp in Ravensbrook and it was notorious. People were beaten and people were dying right and left and all of Corey's family died during this time, even before or during the concentration camp. Her, her beloved sister, she died. And Cory got released because of a clerical error. She got released from concentration camp. So you have this lady that has lived some years and a lot of suffering. So she went around Germany and other parts of Europe explaining about the power of forgiveness, forgiving those who have wronged you. And it was in 1947 she was speaking at a church in Munich. And as she was speaking about the subject of forgiveness, she looked towards the back and there was the guy that had beat her and her sister in concentration camp. She recognized this balding guy. She remembered his blue Nazi uniform with a visored cap. There he was in the service. You can imagine her heart started to palpate, started picking up, started beating. And the guy starts walking towards her and she's like, oh. And he says, You won't believe this, but I was one of the guards at Ravensbrook. And Corey at this point realizes he doesn't recognize me. There was thousands and thousands of people in the concentration camp. He doesn't realize me. And she said for a moment she froze. She had hated this guy with every fiber of her being. She had just spoken about forgiveness. And now the most notorious guard is in front of her. And he tells her, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He holds out his right hand. And he says, I want you to tell me that God has forgiven me also. How would you respond? The person that has beat you, the person under whom your sister died. I want to read to you what she wrote in her journal after this. She says, I stood there. I, whose sins again and again, had been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out. But to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. It was simple and it was horrible as that. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one that stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. This current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm and sprang into her joined hands. And this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intently as I did then. See, what Corey realized, and sometimes we forget is she was just as in need of God's forgiveness as this prisoner guard. She needed God's forgiveness like he did. So let's go back and look at the Pharisee. Let's look at Simon. Simon loved very little because he thought he had very little if any to be forgiven of. In the Jewish customs, back to the setting, whenever you went to someone's house, there's three common courtesies you did. The first one is this. If you were middle to upper middle class